Tonight, we're going to be reading in Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. So I'll give you guys a few moments to open your Bibles. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sarah. And I'm so glad that, uh, that uh, Taylor and Hannah introduced the whole crew. Um, and so it's just great to, it's great to see you tonight. I don't have my glasses on, so I say that figuratively. Um, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I don't know where my glasses are. I think they're... I couldn't find them last night. Whatever. I can see pretty good. Uh, I, I think they're in the car. I should definitely find them before I drive home. Uh, you know, if we haven't met, I'm Thomas Nelson. I'm the young adult pastor here. And it is, um, it's just great to be in the room with you on a Tuesday night. I know that it's a sacrifice to come on Tuesday nights. I hope and I pray every week that the Lord will meet you, that you'll be surprised at how you encounter him, um, that you will be uh, just encouraged by the fellowship of being around folks who um, are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And tonight, we're going to have a great time afterwards. We have King of Pops on the porch. It's going to be outstanding. We have like, I don't know, 15 or 20 gallons of ice cream, all different kinds, on the inside with toppings. Uh, and so, I mean, you can't go wrong with toppings. And so it's going to be great. So y'all are like, y'all, Thomas, preach so we can get out there. All right, <clears throat> so let's do it. Matthew chapter nine, uh, we're calling this very simply the calling. And we've been walking through the book of Matthew. We are going to jump into another series in a few weeks, um, a little mini series called You Asked For It. And the reason we're calling it that is because you asked for it. Um, like we're saying, hey, send us questions, send us things you wanna know about. And we're gonna do a little mini series so that it's like right in your living room of things that you're like, this is what I need to know about. And obviously it'll come from a biblical place. So they can be questions about life, theology, the Bible, um, relationships, jobs, any of it, and we'll answer it. But tonight we are kind of, kind of seeing a conclusion of a big movement of scripture. And so I'm just gonna go ahead and give you the summary up front. The summary is this. When Jesus calls you to follow him, you can stay where you are, or you can follow him, but you can't stay where you are and follow him. And so this is just like plain old Bible study tonight. This is like the basics. But the reason that people like Nick Saban continue to drill in the basics with his players, or because most folks wanna skip past the basics and do the fancy stuff, and they wonder why they never progress. And so many Christians end up being 65, 75, 85-year-old Christians, and their Christianity is still in its infantile state. 
They thought they could have their cake and eat it too. They thought they could follow and remain, and you just can't. To choose to follow Jesus and remain in the place of life that you are is actually to not follow Jesus. So let me pray for us, and we're going to get started. Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. And, uh, and Lord, just help us to be amazed at this book, at these chapters, and how you laid them out in your, um, in your incredible, perfect wisdom. And Lord, would you just convict us, move us, help us to know you better by the end of tonight. In Jesus' name, Lord, speak to each of our hearts. Amen. So let's do this. Let's take a, let's take a look. I think um, I, I minored in literature in college simply to spite a high school teacher who said that I wasn't very good at literature. Um, and I did. I did. I minored in it. Don't do things out of spite. Um, and so I did learn some pretty incredible things. And then in seminary, you learn, um, you learn a lot about the, the literature, the layout of the Bible. And, uh, and you don't want to study the Bible just as literature, but you do want to understand that it is a beautiful book the way that it's placed together, the way that God used the different people to write it. And so the only problem with our Bibles is that they have chapters and verses. On one hand, that's great if you're like memorizing stuff, you know where to start and stop, you know how to find things easier. On the other hand though, it breaks up the stories. Maybe in a way they weren't supposed to be broken up. So let's, let's do this. Let's look at, if you just look in your Bible at chapter eight, I'll go back through some old drawings and I'll illustrate chapter eight in Matthew all the way through chapter nine, verse 13. So this is how the chapter is laid out. This is how this story is laid out. So I'm gonna stop talking about chapters and verses and I'm just gonna tell you the story. So what we see is Jesus meeting three groups of people. One is a leper, that is the, the mummy-looking person. That's, he meets a leper. And then he meets a centurion who has a servant that needs to be healed. And then he meets a whole group of sick people. And for each of these, he heals the leper, he heals the centurion servant, and the centurion is awarded for his faith. And then he heals a group of people. And so what we see is Jesus has authority over sickness and he's showing us that. And there's, just, there's these three groups of people and then we have this interesting little moment where a scribe and a Pharisee are called to follow him. So he's asking to have authority over them. Now, spoiler alert, Jesus will have authority over all of us one day. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord some will bow willingly and some will be forced to bow, but he will have authority over everyone. He's asking to have authority over this scribe and the Pharisee. The scribe says, I think I would rather have a more comfortable life. That's what's inferred from the story uh, because Jesus says to him, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but me, the son of man, has no place to lay his head. And then the next one, the disciple here, the disciple, you can see him with his thumb, he's pointing back and he's like moving backwards. This disciple is also saying, you know what? I kind of want to just like remain in the family situation that I'm in. My relationships are comfortable. I'll follow you when that status changes. And so that's, that's what happens after these three big miracles. And then we go back to or we go to three more miracles. One is when Jesus takes his disciples out on a boat, he falls asleep, there's a big storm, preached a sermon on that last week, and he shows that he has authority over nature. 
Then he goes and he goes on the other side of the lake. There's two men with demons. They live in, uh, in a town, right outside of a town. He casts the demons out. The demons go to a group of pigs. The pigs run off into the ocean and he shows he has authority over demonic spirits. After that, there is a third story. That story is Jesus healing a paralyzed man. That is the man standing up holding his bed in green. He's in yellow when he's laying down. It made a lot of sense when I drew it, but that's what's happening here. And so that's the story. Jesus says, rise, take your bed and walk. And he says, your sins are forgiven. And so what do we have after that? There's three miracles, then there's a calling of people. There's three more miracles, and then there's a calling of people. Right here, Jesus calls Matthew. The other gospels call him Levi, but he goes by Matthew as the disciple. In this case, Jesus extends an invitation, the same invitation that he gives to to the disciples who are fishing. He says, come, follow me. And so if we look at the big picture of this, what we see in Matthew chapter 8 through 9, 13 is a set of three, three miracles where Jesus demonstrates, I'm the real deal. And then he extends an invitation, will you follow me? Three more sets of miracles where he demonstrates, I'm the real deal. And then he says, will you follow me? One third of the people the invitation is extended to in this section of scripture say yes. Two thirds, as best we can tell from the text, walk away. I think it's important when you read your Bible to see, Lord, what are you up to? When we read one isolated story, we get a lot from it, but it's good to zoom out and say, what is happening? And so Matthew, after the great Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus shows up as a new and better Moses, giving a new set of commandments, immediately goes into this aspect of Jesus' life where he's healing, casting out demons, controlling nature, and making a call, doing miracles and making a call. So what I think that we need to know is, man, he calls, and he calls people often, but it's often folks walk away. There's one point that John records in Jesus' miracles and ministry that he has like a ton of people following him. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no place with me. And many turned away and left. That's when he famously turns to Peter and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter says, Lord, where would I go? So as we think about the context of Matthew's call, I think this is, this is good for us to get into our minds of Matthew's written this for a reason. He shows three sets of miracles, a calling, three sets of miracles, another calling. He's showing us that I think there's at least four things that we can glean from what he's showing us. And so I'll just show you all four and then we'll walk through them. I think that what we see from this is that Jesus demonstrates his worth before he calls someone. And by the way, Every one of you either has had a Matthew scribe Pharisee moment or you will have a Matthew scribe or Pharisee moment. The Lord calls us all. The question is, what do we do with that call? And so he demonstrates his worth before he calls. He often calls at inopportune times. 
He always asks us to leave the former life behind and he redirects our gifts for his purpose. So let's just kind of walk through this. He, he demonstrates his worth before he calls. You know, blind faith is not biblical. You know, that's what you hear, like, especially in like college classes and uh, when, when people are like getting all philosophical at, um, not at Starbucks, at like a trendy coffee store. When they're getting philosophical and, you know, you're over at Rev and they're like, let's talk about something else. I read an article on Reddit. They won't say that though. Um, but anyway, they, they're, they're, people kind of throw in, you got to have this blind faith to follow Jesus. Matthew had seen him do work. The scribe and the Pharisee had seen him do work. In 2023, he's given us a Bible. He's given us other Christians we can get to know. He's given us all kinds of ways we can explore him before we just leap into following him. It always takes faith for that final push to say yes. But blind faith is not really something that we find in the Bible. And if Jesus is calling you, whether it's you are a Christian and he's saying, hey, that relationship's not the right one, that job's not the right one, your living situation's not the right one. If he's calling you to follow him in a direction that is gonna cause upheaval in your life, I would encourage you right now, before anything else, before you like cover your ears and block them out, before you do any of that, I would just say, take a deep breath. The first thing you wanna do when Jesus calls, when we sense he's calling us into something uncomfortable, and he's, he's so good that we can do this. Examine who's calling you. Let's put the call to the side for a minute. And let's examine the one who's doing the calling. The one who's doing the calling is more important than the call. That was supposed to come like later in the message, but it's just so important. You just gotta bring it out now. You have to just be like, oh, that's interesting. Um, like when we get to that. But that's, that's so important Let's put, let's put the call over here. The whole, rest of, the, whole, the whole rest of this sermon, if you're wrestling with a call, let's put the call over here. And let's look at the one who's calling. And so I want to show you a few verses that demonstrate the one who's calling and that emphasizes this point that we can, we can examine the one who's calling before we accept the call. Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Uh, what? I don't know where Heather is. Where are you, Heather? Is she? Oh, in the very back, back row Baptist, Heather. What night was that that we were driving home in that sunset? Was that Sunday night? By like the water treatment plant, which is kind of smelly, but you know what I'm talking about? It was, it was Sunday night, yes. We were driving home Sunday night and we looked out and it was like, it was like the most magnificent sunset. And it just, it just gives you pause like in your life to say, there is room for me to think about God. There is room for me to like examine him and wonder about him and be caught up in him and in awe of him. That sunset wasn't just for me and Heather. That sunset was for everybody in our time zone to see. 
It's spectacular. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Romans 1, 18 through 20, God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So it's clear from these two passages and many others that God is displaying himself for us plainly day after day. Yes, he may put a call on all of our lives, but let's first examine the one who's calling. But even more than common grace, Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's go from the big, yes, God is creative and he is big and he is strong and powerful to the more narrow and the scriptures claim that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die in our place so that we might forever be in relationship with him, enraptured in his love. And so he demonstrates his worth before he ever calls you into some scarier hard place. And that's so important. I mean, when, when you interview for a job, don't you think about like who the company is uh, as much as like what the job is? I mean, nobody starts in their dream job, right? You're like, could I work for this company? Who are these people? Do people like working there? Do they take care of their people? Is there long tenure or is there a ton of turnover? You, if, you're, if, if you're thinking about your interviewing, you're thinking, I wanna make sure I like the company even as much or more than I like my particular job in that company. That's the same. That is, a, that is an earthly example of a spiritual truth. We want to examine what is, what is this God like before I jump into what I think he's calling me to do. And I think in, in light of that, it's really important to ask, what is the difference between the scribe and disciple in Matthew 8? And Matthew and Matthew 9. Why did two walk away and one stay? So I just want to show you here. This is the passage from tonight. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. He says, Follow me. That is the it's common Jesus language. Follow me. And what happens? And he rose and followed him. That is as quick as what we see in Matthew 4 when he calls Peter and James and the others who are fishermen. It's so fast. And then many tax collectors and sinners came to him reclining at the table. We'll get to that in just a minute. But Jesus says, follow me. And he goes and he follows him. So why in Matthew 8 that we looked at, uh, that we looked at, Two weeks ago, I think it was, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him. So we have a teacher of the law. And the teacher said, I will follow you. But then he ends up not following because Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds have nests. Son of man has no place to lay his head. And another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Let me first do something else. And Jesus said, follow me, but neither do. So what's the difference? Why, why do these two walk away and why does Matthew go? 
Matthew had to leave his job, his income. He had a super lucrative life. He was very influential in society with the Romans. I mean, he was like climbing his way up. He had it. He wasn't like buying, he wasn't like saving up for a car. He was buying them in cash when he wanted to. Like he was, he was doing fine. And, and so why? Why would he leave and the other two not? The other two focused on the call and Matthew focused on the one who was calling. If you focus on what Jesus is asking you to do, you can almost always talk yourself out of it. But if you focus on Jesus, the one who is calling you, I mean, you can walk a tightrope over the Grand Canyon for the man. I mean, he's he's outstanding. But if you focus on, I'm supposed to walk a tightrope over the Grand Canyon? Nope. The first two, that's absolutely what they did. They focused on the call and not the caller. He, I mean, he's the pearl of great price. I mean, why, why did Peter sink when he, when he walked on the water? Why, P- Peter didn't sink because Jesus got like weak. Peter didn't sink because like, because uh, you know, all of a sudden his feet were cold. Peter sank because he remembered the boat. And as soon as you start thinking about what you had and where you were, you've forgotten the one who called you out in the first place. This is, this is so, so important. So examine the one who calls you before you get too worked up about the call. Now look, he is gonna call you, Jesus, more than likely at a very inopportune time. You just need to go ahead and brace yourself for that. Like it's gonna happen when you didn't expect it to happen. Some of you are, are laughing a little bit because you're like, that is so true. Like you get called by the Lord. The Lord convicts you and he calls you when you're like, I was doing just fine. Everything was going fine and then the Lord just messed me up. Uh, and that's just, that is just part of it. Timothy Keller has this great quote. Um, the late, great, incredible Timothy Keller has this, this quote. He says, God's sense of timing will always confound ours. His grace rarely operates according to our schedule. Uh, I mean, sometimes Jesus' call on our lives is so abrupt, it feels like an intervention you didn't know you needed. And, 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 and it, you just have to trust, if you have examined the one who calls you and you examine the one who calls you, that somehow it was the right time. It just was. And, and he proves himself down the road that it was the right time. Um, Look, his interruptions, also, I think they reveal when they come at a time that we're like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. His interruptions come when they come because it reveals to us in our hearts, we would never on our own really be willing to say, yes, let me follow you. It is his grace that he interrupts our lives. It is his grace that he walks up to us when we're at our tax collector booth and we're just doing our job and living our best selves' lives and all those kinds of things. It is by his grace that he walks up and says, follow me. Because we would have said, how about next week if he had called for a schedule and scheduled an appointment? 
Look, I remember when I was 17 up in North Georgia at Covenant College. Maybe that's in Tennessee. I can't tell where it is. Tennessee, Chattanooga, maybe? Maybe so. Let's go with that. It's in Chattanooga. Uh, and so and when I was 17, I was going to be a senior in high school. We went to summer camp. I went to summer camp partly because I was in trouble and I had to. Like this church camp. I had to go. And, uh, and partly because they're girls. And so like that's a great reason. 17, girls, a week, no parents. Let's go. Summer camp sounds awesome. So went to summer camp, and I remember like just being a just a hoodlum. Like we did, we we made people, we we did stupid things. I think I'm still being punished for some of those, um, like dumb things. Um, and so, yeah. Stop, sorry. I, my mind went there. I hadn't gone there in a long time, and I'm embarrassed by myself. Uh, but yeah, so we did some like stupid things. The last night of camp, the last night of camp, I'm sitting there in a shirt that I stole from one of our leaders, a 4XL Hawaiian shirt. I mean, I looked like an idiot. We're sitting there and I'm praying because the guy said to pray at the end of the prayer. And in the middle of it, would you believe the nerve? The Lord just radically interrupted my life. I mean, in that prayer, I was not even thinking about God. In that prayer time, the Lord called me to be his. And it was in such a compelling and strong and interrupting way that when I opened my eyes, I thought, I will never be the same again. If he had asked me, hey, Thomas, I'm thinking about like changing the course of your life and like doing some, some pretty big like U-turns and um, it's going to be pretty uncomfortable and it's going to cause some relational conflict and some other things. Like, how does Friday sound? It would have been like uh, Friday of what year? Like, no, thank you. It was so good that he came to me that night. It was so good that he came to Matthew interrupting his life. And sometimes, sometimes he comes in an interruption because we know we need help, but we have no idea what the help is. And that's Heather's testimony. Heather was, uh, was at Auburn, and she had been like a, a, a college girl that, that partied and hung out with her friends a bunch. And she had had a night of doing all the things that she thought would make her happy. And she woke up in her apartment the next morning after, after years of, of partying and living that life. And she woke up the one morning and she was sitting on her bed and she was just sobbing, not thinking about, oh, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. But in that moment, she says, the Lord spoke to her and said, Heather, when was the last time you were happy? And she said, when I was nine and I gave my life to you. And in that moment, the Lord called her back. His interruptions are so good. Don't be scared of his call. Be grateful he showed up. And, and he always asks us when he does these things to leave our former lives. 
Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. He rose and followed him. And then in verse 10, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees, when they saw this, they asked his disciples, why is Jesus doing this? Matthew left his life behind. He had to leave his life behind. But it didn't mean in Matthew's case that he had to fling all of his friends in the dust. Now, he knew he couldn't live the life that his tax collector friends were living. And there's a whole nother message. Um, I, I love the, the history of the, the Jewish part of the New Testament, but without going into what a sinner actually is and what Matthew would have been going through, we're actually going to get to a little bit of that later in Matthew. The deal is that Matthew had sold out to Rome. He had sold out to money. He extorted a bunch of people. He couldn't live that life anymore. But he could walk with Jesus and try to introduce his friends to Jesus. And that's what we see happen in, in this passage. But the old, the, the reason that, that God does this is because uh, he's, he wants us to repent. It's repentance, it's not punishment. It's not his way of getting back at you when you have to leave your old life. It's because your old life was actually bringing death and it wasn't bringing the kingdom of God and he's redeeming you to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And your old life was bringing death to earth and the earth has enough death. He's calling your life to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. This, this is a gift from God, not a fine. We're not into indulgences here. This is, this is a gift from the Lord. It's not something you're, you're like having to pay him back for. Some things will die when he calls you though. You can guarantee it. Some things will die, but the reason they'll have to die is because they're crowding, they're crowding the scene and new growth needs to come in. I've told you before, my, my favorite current singer-songwriter in the Christian world is William Benjamin Hastings, and uh, the guy's voice of an angel, the gifted, the gifted writing that he does, his AI software is awesome. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, it's just amazing. But he, he, loves, he loves the... Uh, he, he loves the the cedars uh, out, or the sequoias out in California. He loves those. And he's got this song called The Cathedral of the Nelder Grove. I encourage you to listen to it on the way home. You can listen to it probably four or five times before you get there. Um, the Cathedral of the Nelder Grove. But he has this, this, this snippet at the end of the song where he's listening to... Um, He's listening to a biologist give his report after the 2017 railroad fire out in California. So I'm going to read you the quote, and it'll be up on the screen. We're here now in the railroad fire of 2017. Let me pause right there. When Jesus calls you, it may feel like this fire. Now, I told you to examine the one who calls you. Look at the one who calls more than the call. And after you say yes... It may feel like a wildfire has ravaged your life. But remember, it's because death was growing and it was crowding out the life that needed to grow. We're here right now in the railroad fire of 2017, where four years ago, in the Nelder Grove of giant sequoias, and right now, we're standing in an area that burned at low intensity, 
The fire burned in a mix like all wildfires do. It was mostly low and moderate intensity, but there was a portion that burned at high intensity as well. And the interesting thing, and for me as an ecologist, the important thing is that in the low intensity fire areas, there is no giant sequoia reproduction, none. None from before the fire, none after the fire, because what they need for that is high-intensity fire. In other words, it's fire that's intense enough that it will actually kill some of the mature giant sequoias, but what you get in the bargain is hundreds of times more giant sequoias. The Lord will burn parts of your life with high-intensity in those call moments. But what you get in return, and I think the Lord has set up nature to give us illustration after illustration of what he does in us. Sometimes the only way new life can come is when the hottest of heat is poured across your life to get rid of the stuff that you don't have the strength to get rid of. And that's the stuff that's bringing you death. And then... He redirects our gifts for his purpose. If you're hearing the call of God, do not look at the calling so much as you look to the one who calls. I remember hearing stories of, uh, of missionaries. And I remember like as a kid, we didn't do mission trips. We just had missionaries come to our church and, uh, and they would tell stories. The stories that went something like this. We live in terrible conditions We've gotten sick so many times. The people that God has called us to, none of them want to know Jesus. Isn't it so good that we're there? Isn't God good to have called us? And I was thinking, no. Has any, does anyone else not see what's happening here? They've been duped. This is like the worst thing they could have done. And so my thought was for the longest time, like that seeped in my brain, like that happened as a little kid. And then the older I got, the more I was like, if that's Jesus' call, I don't want it. He's going to call me to go be a missionary somewhere. and I'm going to eat terrible food and I'm going to live in like a bunch of bugs and, and nobody's going to like me. This is not good. Like, I just want to go to heaven when I die. That's what I'm in for. Like, that's what I'm hoping for. And so I, I didn't understand that. I, I didn't understand that that was uh, a, a, a misteaching. And and then some pastor would basically say, "Now these folks, the folks that we've just had up here today, aren't they the real Christians?" And I was like, "I hope not. Like if they're the real Christians, I am a fraud because I do not want that life. That sounds like a terrible life. And and if." If that is the call of God, I was thinking this as a kid, like if that is God's call, it's always going to voicemail. I'm screening him like every time. Like I do not want that. But then when you look at Matthew's story, that's actually not what you see. Look, look at verse 10 again. As Jesus reclined at a table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Well, Matthew, after his call, he seems fine. He's even got his old friends with him and his new friends, the disciples, and Jesus. How come those missionaries that I heard about seem so miserable, but yet that's touted as like the ultimate call of God? 
I think, I, I think what I, I think what they said is true. I think God was good for calling them. I think what I heard though was, uh, all I heard about was their call. I never heard much about Jesus. And when I look at Matthew, I hear his call, but I see Jesus in his call. With those missionaries, I just heard the call. Does that make sense? Like all I saw was like, when I would hear their stories, all I could remember was their call, their call, their call. I never heard much about Jesus. I I didn't realize that those people, the missionaries in this case, were probably at a dead end when Jesus called them to follow him. And secondly, to serve the group of people wherever it was they were serving. But I think some of them had forgotten that too. I think some of those people I heard had embraced their call more than the one who called them. That's dangerous for anybody. Because you start worshiping your call more than the caller. And Matthew Matthew doesn't do that. Look at what Matthew does. He's a tax collector. Tax collectors in the Roman world knew shorthand. Who records the Sermon on the Mount? The whole thing, Matthew. Why? Because he knew shorthand. What did God start to do? God started to redirect the gifts he already had. Don't think that God is going to take you from where you are to someplace so foreign you're bound to fail. The Lord wants to use the gifts he gave you for his glory. Now, it may be in a different context. It may be uncomfortable at first. It may be all of those things, but he's gonna use you because you are fearfully and wonderfully made to do what he designed you to do in the first place. He was a gifted note taker. He had an in with the Romans, some of the elite people. Peter didn't have that. Jesus could leverage that and have an audience with people who who were high up. The story goes that when Matthew finally died, he was in the presence of a king when he was finally martyred for his faith. Matthew understood how to talk to elite people. He understood like, he understood buckhead people. He understood like, like not Decatur people, they're too artsy. But he understood the buckhead people, like the midtown banking crowd. He was like, I know you guys. Like he did. Um, he was over at EY all the time if he was here. He'd be there all the time. Um, but like he, he understood that, that world. He understood what it was like when a Jewish person was, was termed a sinner. He could relate. The Lord will do the same thing with you when he calls you. He will use your gifts for his goodness and his glory. Remember, don't be afraid of the call. Look to the one who's calling because he's so good. But a huge question I think we have to ask as we, as we kind of conclude the night is this. Why in the world would Matthew include this story? Like if you were writing your story, you know, your, your memoirs, you might leave some things out. If I'm Matthew, I might just pick up to where I'm like following Jesus and recording the Sermon on the Mount. I had gained some skills early in life. Therefore, I recorded Jesus' every word. I might not say that I was a tax collector. Like, that was a really bad position to have. They, people did not like them. Like, they were not well loved at all by the Jewish people. I think, uh, I think this painting from Rembrandt 
is a great reason why, why Matthew included this. In 1633, Rembrandt did this painting called The Rising of the Cross. And if you see, there's one person, I don't know if you can see it, but there's one person who definitely sticks out. Rembrandt painted himself at the bottom of the cross. Matthew includes the story in here because he's painting himself at the bottom of the cross. How does the story conclude? Jesus tells the Pharisees who are mad, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Matthew includes this story to show that he was never one of the righteous. He was sick and didn't even know he was sick. And if it weren't for Jesus demonstrating his power, calling and interrupting Matthew's life, he would have died thinking he was just fine. But he realized in that interruption Oh, I'm the one that needs help. He painted himself at the bottom of the cross in this story. I think one beautiful Old Testament passage that illustrates this call is in the book of Hosea. Look back at Hosea chapter 6. If you can't find it, it's actually less than like 100 pages back in your Bible, more than likely. Probably like 75 pages back if you've got a paper Bible. But Hosea chapter 6. This is so beautiful. Listen to these words. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down he will bind us up. When Jesus calls you, in a sense, he tears you and he strikes you down, but what he's really doing is showing you, you, you need the physician. But the promise in Hosea is, he will bind us up. And how does he do it? Verse two. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. He doesn't do it by making you really well behaved. He doesn't do it by changing your life so that you never date like that again or pursue money like that again or live with those kinds of people again. He doesn't do it for those things. That's not how he does it. Verse two says he does it through Jesus. Verse two is a gospel verse. How does he bind us up? He binds us up through his death, burial, and resurrection. After two days, on the third day, he is risen up, and therefore we can rise up. And then verse three, therefore, now remember, we are not focusing on the call. We may have to say yes to a really hard call, but let's not focus on the call first. Let's focus on the one who's calling. What does verse three say? Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. 
Let him call us wherever he may call us, but let us never take our eyes off the one who is calling us. And then verse six, which Matthew records Jesus quoting in his call. For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus wants your heart. And if he gets your heart, he'll get your obedience. Because you'll see, like Peter said, Lord, where else would I go? If the Lord is calling you to something tonight, let's take a deep breath. And let's focus on the one who's calling more than the call. Pray with me. Father, I ask that you would just move our hearts to be compelled to know and love Jesus, the one who demonstrates his worth, the one who calls us sometimes at inopportune times, the one who asks us to leave our former lives, also the one who redirects our gifts. Lord, may our hearts not be worried about the call, but may our minds and our hearts and our lives be consumed with the one who is calling. And as a result, may Jesus, when he calls, give us the strength to say yes and the grace to never look away from him. Lord, move our hearts to know you. In Jesus' name.